Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.56 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 12th of June, 2020. This is episode 250 of Bitcoin, and this represents a new epoch. Yep, yep, we're in a, I'm in a new epoch. That's what I'm going to go ahead and call it. Seems that 250, for whatever reason, is the number that I've been, I don't know, waiting for or something like that to kind of switch gears. I figure 250 episodes is good enough to call it dues paid, and I don't have to feel bad about any of the bullshit that I do from this day forward. So. Technically, I think it's okay to call it a new epoch. All right. So in this new epoch, the very first thing that I'm going to do is have give you guys a huge shout out for being cool to me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Everybody has been really super nice. Um, has been for the last two years that I've been doing this, coming in as a complete unheard voice and having people start to listen to me and having people like... Phil Gibson, also known as Mr. Sue, give me a five-star rating. He tweeted me the, I won't read the, uh, the review that he gave me, but he gave me a five-star rating on uh, <clears throat> uh, iTunes. And that was very cool. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. I truly do. Everything helps, like a five-star rating on iTunes. Um, you know, tweeting out when I give a, uh, when I tweet out an announcement for a, a new episode, it'd be like, it's super helpful for you guys to tweet it to your, your followers or put it on another social media, take my tweet and get it over to Facebook or Instagram or, you know, let other people know, because honestly, I spend most 95% of my time on Twitter. I can't stand Facebook. I just can't. I don't like the interface. I don't like the fact that it's filled with a bunch of freaking dinosaurs. I mean, honestly, I, I'm probably the target age for Facebook, and I just absolutely loathe that platform. I can't do it. So if you guys are out there, if any of you are listening to me rant, uh, on a daily or, you know, weekly basis, uh, and you guys have Facebook, Dude, get, get, you know, send a link, send a link over there to, to Facebook and let your people over there know about it so that they too can drive and hear the daily Bitcoin news without getting themselves killed. This is the best thing about podcasts like ever is being able to do other shit, right? And still, still engage in somebody who's, you know, giving you some information Otherwise, you got to use your eyes. And if you're driving or doing dishes or, you know, chores around the house or whatever, you need your eyes. It's not like you can read a book and clean at the same time. 
you sure as shit can't wash dishes at the same time. <clears throat> okay, so let's get into the very first thing up. Now, I have no idea who this company is. They just came across my radar. No, they're not a sponsor because I don't have sponsors. Uh, however, I can't just not you know, see this and tell you guys about it. So what I'm about to say, I say with absolutely no information, I don't know any of the people behind the company, but I figure you might want to go and do your own research for yourself because the good news about this is it looks like it's another Bitcoin only company. And I love Bitcoin only companies. So uh, it looks like this is called fastbitcoins.com. That's all one word, fastbitcoins, F-A-S-T-B-I-T-C-O-I-N-S.com. And I saw this particular tweet. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was either early this morning. It may have been last night. Um, UK shop owners, doors can open from Monday 15th of June. Fast Bitcoins can help you earn generous income and differentiate from your competition with simple Bitcoin services. Discover more here, and then they give a blog. So let's figure out what's going on with that blog here. Uh, want to sell Bitcoin in your retail store? Fast Bitcoins makes it easier than you can imagine. Nearly all retail business owners will have come across the term Bitcoin. If you understand what it is, newbies can read our guide here. But only a minority of retailers know the opportunities Bitcoin can offer. If you don't know, now's your chance to find out more. Bitcoin continues to grow in recognition all over the world, despite it not being a daily form of currency. Demand is surging because many are realizing its strength is a secure store of value. They want to hold it as a long-term investment like gold or to speculate on the price swings. That said, what is preventing the increasing number of enthusiasts from getting their hands on it is lack of easy and safe access. For many, buying Bitcoin through an exchange is too complicated, and the Bitcoin ATMs you may have seen in competitor shops are hard to use and charge customers a fortune. To cut to the chase, there is an opportunity for retail business owners to start generating a sustainable income by enabling the Bitcoin economy. Already, a number of our retailer partners are seeing profits upwards of 2,000 pounds per each month by offering customers a simple and secure way to access our services. And better yet, it is really easy to get started. Fast Bitcoins makes selling Bitcoin at your store simple and straightforward. Here are three ways retail business owners can benefit. One, we give you an easy to use handheld point of sale device. This device allows you to sell physical Bitcoin vouchers for cash to your customers, process deposits to fast Bitcoin's user accounts, accept real-time Bitcoin payments with zero transaction fees, pay out cash to people that have sold Bitcoins to us. The POS device works independently from other retail systems and is completely portable. All you need to do is make sure it's charged, connected to Wi-Fi, and you are set to go from day one. Second thing it provides is uh, provides you with marketing and PR support to raise awareness of your great new offering at no cost. This includes everything from free signage, banners, and posters to running social media campaigns and advertising as well as securing media coverage on top of that. We also push customers to your store via the listing page on our website as well as popular third-party listing websites. This will allow you to build awareness of your new service easily. 
Three, you are guaranteed to make a commission on every transaction. You will have the support of a dedicated account manager whose sole job is to help you get set up with the tech, selling, and making a consistent flow of income. Uh, There is absolutely no catch. I don't know, man. In life, there's kind of always a catch, but let's go on. Qualified businesses can benefit from all the support with no experience and no upfront cost. Your services will not be associated with any underlying risks associated with the Bitcoin market either. Surely then this is something worth considering. And that's pretty much the end of the, the end of the blog. So again, do your own research. I bring this to you just to make it, you know, give you some awareness that it looks like there's another Bitcoin only company. It looks a lot like Beautyons, uh, in so far that vouchers are involved. Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going over to their website right now and looking at this, at the landing page and it uses lightning. It uses the lightning network. Uh, there are, you can redeem vouchers. Uh, there's an education button, there's support, and there seems to be a, you know, a sell Bitcoins thing. Uh, you have to log in. I don't know if it's KYC AML enabled. I don't know. I'm not going to go that far. Again, this is a do your own research situation, but, uh, for you guys over there at fast Bitcoins, I have unblocked your site 100% from any kind of ad blocker. Your map on find a location is not working. Okay. When I try to do anything. Oh, wait there. Now it's working. Now it's working. I was getting an, an error about 15 minutes ago that said could not connect to server. So I don't know what's going on, but there's a, <clears throat> there is, let me see if the map actually comes up again or, or comes up at all. And no. Okay. So the visual of the map, like the street level map stuff is not giving me any kind of, I, I mean, I, I see that gold star jewelers is over there in uh, Alberta uh, Edmonton, uh, you know, Canada, uh, but, and there's, a, I, I see the little pin that is supposed to drop down on a map like you would expect, but the background is just blank. It's just gray. Okay. So, but <clears throat> it is kind of cool. If it, if it works 100%, es- essentially what you can do is type in your location, find out the nearest retailer that you c- can go visit that has one of these machines and go hit that thing up and buy a voucher or sell some Bitcoins, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> I, again, warn you, do your own research, okay? We are in a time when lots of these companies are going to start coming up. The ones that last will be the ones that are ethical. The ones that last will be the ones that go Bitcoin only. The ones that last will be the ones whose furthest furthest thing from their mind is to screw their customers, okay? Or or thoughts of theft, in other words, okay? So again, do your own research, but I'm happy to see yet another Bitcoin-only company come up. Okay, let's get into some, some news, all right? Evan Thomas, and let's see, hold on for a second. I want to make sure that, oh yeah, this is going to be from a uh, hat tip to Randy McMillan. Uh, he's the one that brought this one to my attention. I uh, just want to make sure. Yeah, this, he's the one that brought this one to my attention. Um, <clears throat> even Thomas at even or Evan uh, M Thomas on Twitter. That's Evan M Thomas, all one word has uh, written a fairly long tweet thread about the findings of the OSC staff investigation into the collapse of Quadriga CX. 
And if you don't know, okay, if you're unaware of what the hell Quadriga CX last year, maybe it's coming up on two years ago, Quadriga CX was an exchange of Bitcoin or rather a cryptocurrency exchange in Canada that a guy named Gerald Cotton owned and uh, he died while in, I think it was Thailand uh, or some, it was definitely some, some Eastern Asian country uh, and died. And it was bizarre. The whole story behind Quadriga CX honestly kind of deserves a, at least a documentary on Netflix. I mean, cause this thing is just weird. And apparently uh, the OSC has uncovered quite a bit of information that we, you know, had suspected before, uh, but they've kind of confirmed some of the things. So let's get into this one. This was written at, or re- rather it was tweeted out 5.01 PM, June the 11th. That's yesterday, 2020. Again, this is at even or Evan M. Thomas. Today's OSC staff investigation report into the collapse of Quadriga CX confirms that Gerald Cotton lost at least $143 million in customer assets through bad crypto trading and burned at least another $2 million on his lifestyle. Oh, God. First off, crypto traders will appreciate the legitimacy conferred by the report, which says, quote, Properly conducted crypto assets trading is a legitimate and important component of our capital markets, end quote. Admittedly, properly conducted is doing a lot of work in that sentence. Most conclusions track what the Quadriga bankruptcy trustee Ernst & Young found last year. Like Ernst & Young, staff found Cotton created fake deposits, traded against customers, traded customer assets on other exchanges, and used customer assets to fund his lifestyle. The most significant new insights are in staff's analysis of where all the assets went, which was a dangling thread in Ernst & Young's report. Staff have a nice pie chart breaking this down. So let's let's see. Let's look at this. So yeah, here's the pie chart. Amount and the, the title of the chart is Amounts Owed to Affected Clients at Bankruptcy, $215 million. And it breaks down apparently like this. Um... $115 million is attributed to trading losses sustained by Cotton on the Quadriga platform. $46 million was assets recovered. Okay, so apparently they've got that back. So $46 million is what they got back. <clears throat> and then let's see, $228 million is trading losses sustained by Cotton on external platforms. Uh, let's see, a 2 million is client funds misappropriated by cotton for living and travel expenses. 1 million is estimated operating losses. And then there is $23 million that has, you know, no accountability. They don't know. I mean, it's not that they don't know what happened to it. It's just that $23 million is listed as other. So there's the breakdown. Now, basically, we're continuing with uh, with Evan. Basically, Cotton lost $143 million in trading, either on Quadriga or other platforms. Only $23 million of the total is unaccounted for. The report speculates that the unaccounted for $23 million may include trading losses on other platforms, other fees paid to other platforms, fees paid to other payment processors, other operating expenses, and additional assets transferred for personal use. One very unfortunate implication of this finding for Quadriga creditors is that there probably isn't a huge stash of crypto somewhere out there just waiting to be found. 
Interestingly, most trading losses were on Quadriga itself. The report explains how Cotton, by buying ETH with fake Canadian dollars or sell or yeah, CAD, or selling fake BTC for real CAD, effectively took leverage long and short positions on BTC and ETH. When the market moved against him, as it did by December 2017, when Cotton effectively had a 20,000 BTC short position just as BTC hit an all-time high, Cotton was forced to trade remaining Quadriga customer assets for cash or other crypto to fund withdrawals. So the guy got freaking liquidated of 20,000 BTC that he did not own. Not your keys, not your freaking Bitcoin. This this is why. Not only is it, this is why you don't keep shit on exchanges. It's also why you hold your keys. Because even if this wasn't an exchange, Daryl Cotton would have figured out a way to take a whole bunch of BTC that didn't belong to him, short the shit at the top and get liquidated. God only knows if he had leverage on I wonder if, you know, well, clearly... It, most losses were sustained on Quadriga, so no, this was probably not over at BitMEX with 100x leverage, but God, could you imagine? Let's continue. OSC staff also build a compelling case that Quadriga was insolvent for years prior to going under. See this chart, which shows a material asset deficit going back to May of 2017, and it certainly does. Yeah, their liabilities are... And just it ramped up from October in October of 2017. It looks like their liabilities were 300 Canadian, 300 million Canadian dollars at the top of the bull, which is December 17. The assets or the liabilities were 900 million Canadian dollars. Their assets look like they had never topped 150 million dollars or Canadian dollars. So again, 150 million Canadian dollars in assets in December or roughly around the mid, yeah, okay, sometime in December to January, they had 150 million in assets and 950 million in liabilities. This thing was going to die no matter what he did. Continuing on, at the high of the crypto boom in December of 2017, Quadriga owed nearly $1 billion to its customers but had less than $150 million in assets. The gap narrowed as prices came down, but staff say regardless of crypto assets prices, Quadriga was unlikely to return to a solvent financial position. Another chart shows that Quadriga was running on fumes for at least six months before it collapsed. This chart shows that after excluding funds frozen by its payment processors bank, Quadriga virtually had had virtually no assets left after June of 2018. From the report, quote, in its final months, Quadriga had almost no assets left and was operating like a revolving door. New client deposits were immediately rerouted to fund other clients' withdrawals. Not surprisingly, the report uses, quote, Ponzi scheme in three different places. <laughs> Things got so dire that Cotton was moving personal funds back to Quadriga to fund withdrawals. Between August and December 2018, Cotton transferred approximately $10 million from his personal bank account to a payment processor, which distributed it to clients. The extent of Cotton's trading against Quadriga customers was huge. This chart shows that from the beginning, Cotton accounted for a significant portion of trading volume on Quadriga. From the report, quote, 
Cotton was party to at least 87% of all trades in Bitcoin settled in Canadian dollars on the platform in its first full year calculated by value and 35% over the platform's lifespan. In dollar terms, Cotton's trading was equally enormous. In 2017, trading volume in Bitcoin settled in Canadian dollars was about 16 times higher than the prior year. At around $1.2 billion, approximately 30% of which came from Cotton's accounts. To end this tweet thread, Evan Thomas says the following. In summary... The report confirms Cotton was running a fraudulent crypto exchange and clarifies that, unfortunately for creditors, customers' assets were mostly dissipated through Cotton's trading, suggesting that what has been recovered to date is all that is left for creditors. Okay. Uh, wow. Man, that's, that's some sad shit to, to read right there because there was a lot. There was a, I remember one story from the Quadriga thing where I believe it was a guy that was getting out of uh, Silicon Valley. And right before he moved to Canada, he took his entire life savings and threw it on Quadriga CX. By the time he had finished his move, Gerald Cotton had died and all this shit went haywire. He's never getting, I, I, I do not remember how much it was. It was substantial, but I, I mean, I again, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of at least a million dollars, but definitely less than five. But still, if you had worked your ass off to save up like you know two million dollars and you throw it on Quadriga CX, you make your move, and then you wonder why you can't get your money back. This guy has probably been sitting around wondering if he's going to be able to you know have this whole thing extinguished and get his money back. He's not. And I said that when this when this shit first happened. I was there saying, you're not going to ever see this money again. It's, it's not going to happen. And now we've got a second party <clears throat> that has gone even deeper than Ernst & Young, and they've pretty much confirmed that all of the money is gone. Uh, so I hate to be the bearer of bad news on that one, but if you had anything on Quadriga CX, <clears throat> I, again, I feel for you. I really do. But... I can't let it go. Not your keys, not your coins. Don't ever use exchanges unless you're doing it simply to trade. And I also don't recommend trading. This is not investment advice. All right. Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. People are waking up to why Bitcoin is gaining traction. The price of tomorrow author. Jeff Booth, the author of the price of tomorrow. Hold on. No, the, yeah. Daily Hodel. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, May, wanted to make sure that I hit the byline. Jeff Booth, the author of The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future, unravels the complex monetary policies used by central banks that are keeping economies in a spiral of un inescapable debt and decline. Booth, who has called inequality, polarization, and uprisings predictable second, second and third order effects of technology, argues that the search for sound money amidst the financial decay and debt fueling a broken system is, is driving the case for Bitcoin. Booth tells his 171,000 followers on Twitter, quote, we are told we need inflation. This is not true. It only seems true because the rules of the game were designed that way. An inflationary environment that was manufactured by central banks, and once they were caught in it, they didn't see a way out. So instead of facing new facts that technology brings efficiency and allows prices to fall, they doubled down on inflation. 
We are now part in a system that requires ever more inflation, jobs, and higher taxes to pay for a black hole of debt that can never be paid back. Unable to reach escape velocity from the debt gravity, central banks actually fuel the thing they fear most, deflation. Debt itself is deflationary because of taxes that need to go up in the future to pay for demand that was pulled forward through debt. And higher taxes means less jobs. The following is a snapshot of what is happening. Need inflation. Drive growth at all costs. Lower interest rates. Debt binge. Pulling demand forward. Distort rules of capitalism when debt can't be repaid by bailouts. And central bank intervention. Concentrating wealth in the hands of a very few leading to massive inequality and social unrest. While technology advances and takes jobs away, or any, uh, takes jobs anyways, it actually says anyways. So while technology advances and takes jobs anyways, leading to extreme political views, leading to divisive leaders with cycle repeating until currency crisis, revolutions, and wars with 99% of the people blissfully unaware of what caused it all in the first place. A structural change where an inflationary monetary policy cannot work because the technology today is so powerful in bringing down prices and it has only just started. Most of the deflation is in front of us. So, we are all caught in a system where we cannot see why deflation might be a fantastic thing. Deflation equals value of your money going up in relation to goods and services. And doesn't that mean we can step off this, the insanity of a broken system? We might see things that we couldn't see before, for instance, because prices are designed to always go up through inflation and are manipulated to do so. Many spend most of their time trying to consolidate enough money or things so that they can, quote, safely retire or work less. Caught in a, in a believable lie and on a treadmill that is designed to move ever faster, making it harder to keep up, robbing them of what is more valuable, their time. We might design differently. We just might design for deflation and celebrate it because it means we are getting more for less. Then we could accept the natural benefits of advancing technology, technological process and the benefits of technology would be more distributed widely, i.e. if technologies destroyed more jobs than were gained, prices would fall along the natural path well, and less people left out. It's he has equal sign. It's kind of hard to read this because there's a lot of like you know little sim symbols in here. So you bear with me. <clears throat> Governments would need to agree on a common unit of value for currencies that could not be manipulated, which would lead to debt restructuring and losses as the current system cleanses the excesses, which would cause global depression. As a warped framework for growth of, or of growth for the sake of growth and manipulated markets is exposed. Different winners, different losers. The reason policymakers keep changing rules to pretend they're still in control and use their currencies as weapons to gain an advantage in trade, the changing of the rules, and an understanding of why sound money is critical for society is what is driving Bitcoin adoption. It is still early, but people are starting to wake up to the fact that their currencies are rigged and will eventually break. In the end, deflation is inevitable. The only question is, does society need to go through currency crises, revolutions, and wars to see it? I hope not, but time is running out. Okay, so that was basically an, an unroll of a giant Twitter thread that this gentleman, Jeff Booth, uh, put out uh, like yesterday or the day before. I, can't, I think it was the day before. He's, you know, he's probably right. Although there's that, that line in there where it's like, you get more for less. 
I don't know, man. I'm always a little freaked out about stuff like that. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let that one slide because this is ridiculous, and you'll understand how ridiculous this is getting when I tell you what's going on in frickin' Tripoli. But that's not coming just yet. So hold on to your hats, people. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's perfectly lined up. It. I am going to be doing Tripoli. Widespread protests take place across Lebanon as their currency falls. Protesters took place in or protests took place in Beirut, Tripoli and other cities on Thursday with people blocking roads and calling out against the government amid worsening economic crises. Demonstrations gained momentum after the Lebanese pound sank to a new low against the U.S. dollar. Prime Minister Hassan Diab called for a meeting on Friday to address the crisis. The fresh protests come after citizens marched for months demanding government transparency and accountability from last October through January. Okay, well, that sounds normal. Why am I even spending the time? Well, Apparently, they burned down a branch of the central bank. Let's see what this Reuters uh, article has to say about that. Lebanese protesters shut down roadways with fires as the currency collapses. Now, this was world news, or rather, I'm sorry, this is out of Reuters. Uh, I guess World News wrote it for him. Let's see if I can find a reporting by Issam Abdallah and Imad Kridi in Beirut. Writing is by Eric Knecht. Editing by Matthew Lewis. Okay, so there's your there there's your 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 bona fides there. So in Beirut, Lebanese cut roadways with burning tires and rubbish bins across Beirut and other cities on Thursday in renewed protests sparked by a rapid fall in the pound currency and mounting economic hardship. The pound slid to about five thousand to the dollar on Thursday and has lost seventy percent of its value since October, when Lebanon descended into a financial crisis seen as the biggest threat to stability since the nineteen seventy five to nineteen ninety civil war. From the northern city of Tripoli to the southern city of Sidon, Lebanese chanted against the political elite and set fire to major roadways across the country in the most widespread unrest since a coronavirus lockdown was imposed in mid-March. Quote, we can't afford to eat or pay rent or anything like that, so we will stay here until the dollar rate goes down and we get all our demands, said Manal a protester in central Beirut. Protesters in Tripoli, Lebanon's second largest city, threw petrol bombs at a central bank building, setting it ablaze and prompting security forces to fire tear gas, according to witnesses. Prime Minister Hassan Diab called for an emergency cabinet meeting to be held on Friday to discuss the monetary situation. A statement from his office said the crisis, rooted in decades of corruption and waste, has brought soaring food prices, unemployment, and capital controls that have severed Lebanese from their their hard currency savings. The unrest comes as Beirut talks with the International Monetary Fund for a reform program it hopes will secure billions of dollars in financing and put its economy back on track. It won't. It's not. No, that shit's done. This this international like hands out begging the IMF for anything at this point is not going to fix your shitty country and your country shitty because of its shitty money. The Turkish people, fine people. Food, awesome. The cities are beautiful, filled with history. But the country's in a fucking shambles. Why? Because of a central bank. Now, let's 
this is the second time, and I this is okay. Let me say it this way: this is the second time in the last year, maybe two years, that I've seen a headline or red news story that has something in like protesters burned down Central Bank. No, this is at least the second time. It's possible it may be the third, but in all times, it's not the actual Central Bank that burned. It's not the main building. It's a branch. So my question is, if you're going to burn down the central bank, then burn down the central building bank. Don't burn down the branch bank. That ain't the central bank. It's not going to do nothing. If you're going to go central, then go central. For love of God, people. But I, you know, my, my heart goes out to the people of Lebanon and, and Turkey and all the other places that has had this shit happen to them. You know, I mean, the, the Middle East is filled with, with some really good people, man. And they're all of them are getting fucked like everybody else around the world. Everybody's getting screwed like this. Lebanese, Turks, Italians, Greeks. I mean, that that's I, I keep thinking about the fact that the EU, I, I've said it before, and it's never it probably is never going to happen the way that I think. But for some reason, I keep thinking that Turkey's going to fall. And the next thing you know is the EU is going to roll up like a cheap suit all the way through Greece, Italy, Spain, France, you know, all the way up into Germany and everything in between. I I keep thinking it's going to happen. It hasn't yet, but Jesus Christ, give it time. Maybe they'll actually, next time, maybe they'll actually burn down the actual central bank. But moving on, this is the Economic Times with a law. India plans lasting ban on crypto. So here we all are walking down the same set of steps again. I have no hope in pronouncing this person's name. It's so complicated. I don't even know if it's male or female. It doesn't really matter. This was written sometime today for the Economic Times Bureau in New Delhi, India is looking to introduce a law to ban cryptocurrencies. As the government sees a legal framework as being more effective than a circular from the Reserve Bank of India in this regard, quote, a note has been moved by the finance ministry for interministerial consultations, a senior government official told ET. The spur for the draft cabinet note was the March 4th decision of the Supreme Court to quash the April 2018 circular from the RBI that prevented banks from providing services in support of cryptocurrencies, said the official cited above. The note will be sent to the cabinet after consultations and subsequently to Parliament. If it is along similar lines as an earlier proposal, the law will deal a blow to investors, exchanges, and other entities dealing in virtual currencies, such as Bitcoin, experts said. A high-level government panel in July of 2019 prepared a draft law providing for a ban on all forms of private cryptocurrencies. It has suggested a fine of up to, oh, I don't know, 25 crore and imprisonment of up to 10 years for anyone dealing in them. At the time, the court had said, while we have recognized the power of RBI to take a preemptive action, we are testing in this part of the order the proportionality of such a measure for the determination of which RBI needs to show at least some semblance of any damage suffered by its regulated entities, but there is none. The ruling lifted a de facto ban on trading in Bitcoin and other such instruments and had prompted startups to say they would revive plans to invest and expand businesses in India. When you kiss that shit goodbye, they're, all that shit's on hold until they figure this one out. I guarantee it. Continuing, however, 
The going hasn't been smooth, industry experts said. Several banks haven't allowed payments for currency trades in India or overseas, and the absence of any specific communication from the RBI following the Supreme Court decision. Still, transactions have been taking place through other channels, the expert said. The draft rules in the July 2019 proposal were too harsh, said some of them. uh, Such a proposed legislation would make it illegal to hold, sell, issue, transfer, mine, or use cryptocurrencies, and if passed in the current form, would completely decimate the cryptocurrency industry in India, said Amit Machawari, partner AKM Global. He hoped the government would conduct stakeholder consultations and not go ahead with the bill in in its present form. The panel, headed by former finance secretary Subhash Garg, had in its report advocated a ban on all forms of private virtual currencies, though it asked the RBI and the government to look at the introduction of an official virtual currency. The draft law prepared by the committee said any direct or indirect use of cryptocurrency will be punishable with a fine or imprisonment, which shall not be less than one year, but may not extend up to 10 years as per the draft law. A repeat offense will be punishable by imprisonment of up to five years, which could extend to 10 years with a fine. The fine could be three times the loss or harm caused by the person, three times the gain made by the person, or up to 25 crore. And I'm not sure if I'm actually saying that right, but that's the end of the uh, of this piece. So what do you think about that, dude? Here we are again. First they ban it, then they don't, then they unban it, then they ban it again, then they talk about banning it, and then the Supreme Court says, no, screw you. And yet here we are with the central bank and basically with their supposed power in a way making the Supreme Court of India look like a bunch of idiots, that they don't know what they're doing. Because here we are again. And instead of the RBI just saying, you know what, we're listening to the Supreme Court, Here's our, here's our new circular. Hey, banks, the Supreme Court says so. So, you know, have at it. We're done. What are they so afraid of? I don't think I need to answer that question. You know what they're afraid of. Now, into my own backyard, people. This one coming out of Amarillo. <laughs> this is literally my own backyard. Counterfeit Money, Inc. Printers discovered at home in North Amarillo. Texas, Ah, Madison Carson writing this one for KFDA out there in Amarillo. Potter County Sheriff's deputies found counterfeit U.S. bills along with ink cartridges, printers, and a firearm at a home on Ramada Trail on Friday. June the 5th, deputies obtained and executed a search warrant for a home located on Ramada Trail. According to the PCSO, deputies discovered a firearm. Several printers believed to be used for criminal activity, counterfeit U.S. bills, ink cartridges, and pages of bills that had not been trimmed. Just ask Steve Mnuchin about that. He'll, he'll show you how to trim that shit. They also recovered a camper trailer believed to be stolen along with an ATV also believed to be stolen. The suspect was not present at the time of the search warrant. PCSO contacted the Secret Service for assistance with the ongoing investigation. So right in my own backyard, counterfeiting. Why not? Hell, everybody else is doing it. I mean, he's just following. He's just doing what Steve Mnuchin wants him to do. Don't you remember that picture of Mnuchin and his trophy wife? just all purdied up and and over there at the treasury holding up bills of, you know, pages and pages and pages of what will soon become fucking garbage. Then yeah, why not? 
what, you know, maybe this guy should get a 3D printer and print some freaking quarters. I mean, this could be worth just about as much here in a little while. Anyway, let's, sorry, I'm ranting. Let's do some vitals. Well, since I skipped yesterday to take my son to the dentist, um, it's going to sound like vitals are going to be like all kinds of good. They're not. But be that as it may, let's go ahead and, and get on with this one. Uh, legacy markets. I got major indices printing, uh, printing mixed, uh, but all the American markets are up. S&P 500 is up a point and a quarter. NASDAQ is up almost a point. Dow Jones is up a point and a half. And FTSE is up, ugh, meh, kind of. Now, what happened yesterday, if you don't know, uh, the Dow Jones fell by 1800. Uh, oh my God. It was like a, what was that? A seven, seven percentage point drop or is somewhere around a seven and a half, somewhere like that. So it seems like it's up, it's up by 367 today. Uh, again, about a point and a half percentage wise. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah, it's not real good. Uh, we'll get into, let's see, am I going to be able to do that? No, it's not going to be able to do that. We'll, we'll talk about it later, but in, be that as it may, let's, let's continue. Uh, all the bonds are up all over the world. Even the 10 year is up, except that something happened yesterday because it's back down, um, to minus 0.4. It had been chilling out at minus, you know, three tenths of a percent for a while, but now it's like gone. It's gone back to where it usually is. Uh, let's look at the rest of these things. 10 year, uh, eh, these percentage points are, I mean, these are like, I'm not sure if they get out of the, of margin of error territory. They're all like really small changes, but they're all green. So we're all good, right? <laughs> Oil's down two points. Uh, it's at 30, it's last was 3562, uh, natural gas is down 2%. It's last was $1 and 77 cents. Gold is back down, but only a scant. It's at 1739 silver is down two points. It's at 17 and a half wheat. If you give a shit is trading at 499. I have no idea what a week, how much a wheat contract represents in poundage, but I imagine it's quite a bit. Let's talk about real money, though. Bitcoin's at 9,436. Its low is going to be chilling out over at HitBTC at 9,397. I got a high printing over at BitAsset at $9,485. transactions were performed in the last 24 hours, giving us about 13,500 transactions on average per hour. Sub 1 million or 873,000 BTC were sent in the last 24 hours. That gives us about 36,390 BTC being sent on average per hour with the average transaction value being 2.7 BTC. And the median transaction value for me is still high at 0.047 BTC or about 443 bucks. Block times are insanely low, eight minutes and 14 seconds. So we're printing the living snot out of these little sons of bitches. 
We got 0.19 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 33 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate is whoop de doody is up 6.75% in the last 24 hours. It looks like it's chilling at 118.79 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit on Bitcoin was sometime yesterday. I'm going to hold it right there for a second. <clears throat> for all the people that were bitching at me about like, this is not a good metric. Screw you. You find your own metric. I'm doing it my way. Ethereum is at 236.8. Bcash is at 240. BSV is at 181. Litecoin is at 45. Ethereum Classic is at 6.5. Dogecoin has lost a little bit of its step. $0.0025. And with 46,757 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's basically cleaning the clocks of Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash. Bcash is, is, has yet again experienced a precipitous fall in the amount of transactions being made upon its network. I, somehow or another, there was like a brief couple of weeks or maybe even only a week where it was printing somewhere around 30 to 40 to 50. I think one day I saw 60,000 transactions in a day and it has fallen back down to where it had been at 15,910. And just for shits and giggles, I'm trying to see where, wow, man. I'm looking at the Bitcoin cash transactions historical chart. Uh, yeah, it's it's struggling, man. It's just, God, it just continues to come down and down and down. So in May, uh, let's see if I can get a date on that. Let's see, date, May 25th, the transactions look like they were about 14,000 in a day. And then on May the 30th, it went back up to 44,000 transactions in a day. And then we're, and then like, let's say, oh God, uh, June the 9th, we started falling back down at 38.5 thousand transactions. And here we are again at 15,000 transactions per day. Wow, that poor son of a bitch just needs to die. My uh, node, I'm going to go ahead and refresh. So bear bear with me for a second because it takes a while for my node to refresh. <clears throat> I want to get my node's take on the hash rate of the network. Come on, bro. Now, my hash rate average for the day is saying that it's only 111.9 exahashes per second. The weekly average, I'm getting 112.6 exahashes per second. Uh, my mempool shows that there are 18,500 pending transactions and confirmed block times are really freaking low at eight and a half minutes. Let's see what Clark Moody has to say about all this shit. Clark Moody's mempool has 15.6 thousand transactions in the mempool. In his mempool. I keep doing that. 33 blocks need to clear in order to get rid of the stack of 32 megabytes worth of transactions that's waiting in his mempool. Sorry, I'm trying to be really careful with that, but whatever. All right, Lightning Network, Lightning Network. 936 BTC are in the Lightning Network, giving us a capacity of $8.82 million with uh, 7,222 nodes representing 36,255 channels. Tor capacity ticked down just a bit. Uh, it is at 422 BTC 
giving us a percentage tour capacity of the Lightning Network at 45.1%. Number of tour nodes has gone, oh, nice. We still actually have more, we've had more nodes, but a little bit less capacity in terms of BTC. There are 2,104 nodes. That's gonna do it for your vitals. Remember what I was saying about the stock market having a shitty day yesterday? Let's do this one from Robert Stevens writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Stock market's worst day since March crash is not good for Bitcoin. So this here's your daily hit of anti-hopium. Following one of the strong market rallies in history, the global pandemic, unemployment and social unrest got the best of the U.S. stock market today. I guess Robin Hood's 10-year-old users could not figure out how to uh, plunge protect on this one. Following one of the strong market rallies in history, the global pandemic, mass domestic employment, and widespread social unrest got the best of the U.S. stock market today. The Dow Jones opened 5.7% lower, while the S&P opened 4.8% lower, and the stock market closed the day with the Dow, plunge, Dow plunging nearly 1,800 points in one of its worst performances in a single day since Black Thursday, when global markets tanked amid uncertainty caused by the coronavirus. All this could be disastrous for Bitcoin. A, a market crash could bring Bitcoin down with it, as happened in the middle of March when Bitcoin's price crashed by 40% in a matter of days. Currently, it's lost 5% of its price in the past 24 hours. That's peanuts by crypto standards. About a week ago, June the 2nd, Bitcoin's price fell by 8% in under five minutes. <laughs> Quote, in the short term, the down, downward movement of public stock markets will likely negatively impact crypto markets as traders liquidate positions to reduce losses, Alexander S. Blum, COO of 2Prime, told Decrypt. The past couple of months is evidence of how downward movements in traditional markets correlated to the downward movements in crypto markets. Today's flash crash could be the result of mounting concerns over a second wave of COVID-19 in the United States. There are warning signs that the mass protests over systemic racism may have created fresh outbreaks. Several hospitals have reported surges in new cases, and on June the 6th, the United States recorded its highest number of new daily cases in over a month. The total number of confirmed cases in the United States also passed 2 million, by far the highest in the world, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. The crisis has caused the Fed to pump trillions of dollars in money printing go burr into the United States economy in an attempt to kick it back into action. Good fucking luck on that. Today, the United States hit $26 trillion in national debt, and it's increasing at a rate of $1 trillion per month. Donald, they've got a tweet from Donald Trump. He says, those that deny their history are doomed to repeat it. Okay. Those whose jobs depends on the strength of the cryptocurrency market told Decrypt that Bitcoin will bounce back from the crash, albeit one of those, one of whose effects haven't really been felt yet. Quote, now I'm expecting the crypto market to fall as the scales tip to the side of the bears. BTC has been unusually flat for the last few weeks, so I'd expect this move to be of some magnitude, much like a coiling spring, said Nicholas Pelicanos, head of trading at NEM. Quote, Whilst there are reports of an increased number of cases recently, I personally feel it's too early to call it a second wave. Given we have been on a significant rally, this pullback today may just be a pause 
an opportunity for markets to breathe before potentially pushing higher, said Simon Peters, a marketing analyst at social trading platform eToro. Adam Trademan, CEO of Bitcoin wallet Burr, or I'm sorry, not Bird, Bread, or BRD, said that a market crash could be good for stablecoins since they let investors move money around the cryptosphere easily. Indeed, stablecoin volume boomed like crazy in the mid-March crash. So there's your, yeah, I, I don't know. I, nobody knows what Bitcoin's going to do, ever. But the stock market's a different thing. Normally speaking, I'm not a big fan of Jim Cramer, but um, I have s- stolen stuff from him before. I mean, what, what I, I, you know, the whole sell, sell, sell. And the buy, buy, buy. Do I have the baby crying? Where's my baby crying? Oh. <laughs> Okay, I, 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 okay, I lifted it. If he wants to sue me, then he'll at least have to give me a cease and desist letter first. I can decide then. But in either event, Jim Cramer uh, has said some things about Robin Hood and this whole stock market thing, and I find it rather interesting. Kevin Stanislawicz, I can't. Although I can give you his Twitter name, Kevin Stank. Kevin, literally, that's his Twitter handle, at Kevin underscore stank. When you need to put some stank on it, you go get Kevin. Kramer thinks Wall Street pros may be playing a game with amateur Robin Hood traders. (laughs) They're 10. Of course they're playing with them. This was written sometime today. CNBC's Jim Kramer said Friday that professionals on Wall Street are taking advantage of amateur investors by bidding up, beat up, but popular stocks like airlines in pre-market trading. Quote, It's a game. If it weren't securities, let's say it was Monopoly, let's say it's DraftKings, it would be so much fun, Kramer said on Squawk Box. Quote, pick a couple of stocks, you gun them in the morning, and then you hope people are stupid enough and then buy them, end quote. Kramer referenced shares of American Airlines, which was up more than 15% in early trading, even as the company said it anticipates its second quarter revenue to decline 90% compared to last year. The Mad Money host said people who really wanted to invest in a company like American Airlines betting that coronavirus-related impacts of air travel would not be a long-term drag would wait until the market opens. Quote, if people wanted these stocks, there would be plenty of supply if they would just wait until 9.30 a.m., Kramer said later on Squawk on the Street. But no, they're fomenting action. Once you foment action, it brings in suckers, and then maybe they'll buy the stock thinking that there's something going on in quote. Sounds like a pump and dump scheme on shit coins from on Twitter, man, but you know continuing. But Kramer said there really is nothing driving that kind of move in a stock that has been so impacted by the COVID-19 crisis and faces a rocky future. He also pointed to the recent action in bankrupt car rental company Hertz, as well as Carnival Corporation. Hertz's stock was up more than 50% to above $3 each on Friday, while shares of the cruise line Carnival were up 12% in the pre-market. Quote, Carnival's not about to merge with Royal Caribbean that I know of, and you can't really have any more consolidation in the airlines, Kramer said, but it doesn't matter. Look, I can stand on my head until I'm blue and say, listen, please don't do this. Wait until 9.30 a.m. The stocks won't be up. Don't bid them up. 
end quote. Kramer stressed he does not believe it is investors on platforms like online brokerage Robinhood, which is favored by younger people and has seen new found popularity during the pandemic who are driving up the equity prices. Quote, you're going to be able to get them lower if you waited, Kramer said, but if your job and your goal is to foment activity, then you're fomenting it left and right. And that's what this is. It's fomenting. So I don't know how you can say all this and then say he doesn't think it has anything to do with the people of Robin Hood. Because listen, I mean, okay, hold on for a second. I I, I really got to do it. I, I got to listen. Kramer thinks Wall Street pros may be playing a game with amateur Robin Hood traders. Okay. Okay. That, he, that's, this sad, honestly. Kramer stressed he does not believe it is investors on platforms like online brokers Robinhood who are driving up the equity prices. Okay, now, I, I sorry, I, I missed that one. I, I see what he's saying now. Um, I don't know. Somebody's got to be buying this shit, but whatever. That that it, There's your stock market stuff. The Bitsy headquarters is pleased to announce the launch of a Bitcoin-priced gold futures on Bitsy Exchange. If you hadn't heard about this one, I don't know, honestly, what to think about it. Um, other than the fact that this is probably making uh, Peter Schiff really, really pissed. I haven't seen any tweets out of Peter Schiff, but likely what it follows is is probably not making him real happy. Uh, this is actually the blog.bitsy.com. Bitsy spelled B-T-S-E. Uh, so the, the title actually is Bitsy Launches BTC Priced Gold Futures. The blog goes on to say, Bitsy users will soon be able to trade the historical safe haven asset of gold against BTC with this new futures index. Gold futures traders will be able to place their action on whether the price of a troy ounce of gold goes up or down against BTC rather than against traditional fiat currencies. This is a particularly interesting time for this option to be brought to the table. In light of the recent world tensions, Bitcoin seems to be joining gold in its acceptance as a store of wealth. By creating an index that pairs two recognized stores of value, Bitsy users can uniquely compare the two assets that are often viewed as integral in hedging against potential recession and rises in inflation. It only makes sense to bring together these two best examples of sound money. Bitsy's gold index prices derive from Tether Gold, which itself uses London fine gold stored in a Swiss vault as its price source. Bitsy is proud to be the world's first leading cryptocurrency exchange to launch gold futures priced in Bitcoin. As always, if you have any questions about this or any other Bitsy related topic, please feel free to drop us a line via any of our social media. So there you go. Uh, again, I, I don't know what, what to uh, think about this other than the, uh, the whole, sentence of it only makes sense to bring together these two examples of sound money reminds me of the old Reese's peanut butter cup commercials where the, you know, people would run in carrying a chocolate bar would run into somebody who's carrying a jar of peanut butter. I like Reese's. I'm going to admit it. IT contractor stole $38,000 of crypto while fixing a company's computers. A man hired to fix a business's IT systems for $1,700 was jailed for 20 months after stealing 40 grand of cryptocurrency he found while in the company network. This is Jack Martin writing this morning for Cointelegraph.com. According to the St. Helens Star, 
Self-employed contractor Mark Andrews of St. Helens had been hired to fix the company's computer systems last year where he found and stole digital assets belonging to the company owner. The victim had previously bought a quantity of cryptocurrency, which he had stored in a private folder on his business network. By April 2019, the value of this had risen to about $40,000. He employed Andrews to address issues with the business IT software, paying him $1,700 for the work. However, while Andrews had access to the company network, he gained entry to the victim's private folder and stole all the cryptocurrency he held. When the victim realized what had happened, he reported it to the police who seized Andrew's computers and discovered the transactions. Police managed to recover 17,000 pounds, although Andrews had already allegedly spent 14,000 pounds clearing his debt. He was also found to have four previous convictions for offenses, including obtaining property by deception. Before jailing Andrews, the court was told that he felt very stupid and cannot believe what he did. End quote. Oh, God. A victim statement from the businessman who owned or whose cryptocurrency was stolen said that the incident had really affected his ability to trust people. Just now? You're just fine figuring this shit out now? Oh my God, dude. While the amount of cryptocurrency stolen in this incident is a drop in the ocean compared to the $1.4 billion stolen in the first five months of 2020, it does highlight the need uh, to be aware of keys being held on devices undergoing service or maintenance. It also reminds the public that not all cryptocurrency is stolen in high-profile hacks. So what they're referencing is that it's this Marie Hulliet Cointelegraph um that was written on or a piece that was written on uh June the second. Um hold on for just one second. Okay. Um that that headline on June the second on Cointelegraphs is a story about that in total one point four billion dollars in crypto was stolen in the first five months of twenty twenty, says Cypher Trace. So if you're wondering what, what that was, that's 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 what it is. Hackers blackmail exchange with $5 million of Ethereum fees, says a report. Tim Copeland and Colin Harper are coming together to write this one sometime this morning for Decrypt.co. Uh, in the last two days, three bizarre Ethereum transactions have spent $5.7 million on fees, but a report claims it's not a bug. An exchange is being blackmailed. Okay. I don't know if this is true. I can't confirm it for myself. So we're going to have to trust these gentlemen to tell us what the hell's going on. So gentlemen, what the hell's going on? It's been an expensive week for users of the Ethereum blockchain. In the last two days, one user managed to spend $5.2 million in fees to make just two transactions. And one of them was only for 130 bucks. And now a third transaction has taken place by yet another user, albeit for a fee of just 500,000, which seems small in comparison. And these absurd transactions are promote, prompting far-fetched theories. Quote, the third abnormal transaction on Ethereum with over 2,000 ETH fee went through. Someone believes it could be a hacker's blackmail to some exchange, tweeted NEO co-founder DeHongfi. Quote, a wild guess is a certain exchange wallet ETH services is being kidnapped by hacker, speculated primitive crypto founding partner Dovey Wan, but according to China-based blockchain analytics company PeckShield, reported by Chain News, these theory aren't so, theories aren't so wild after all. PeckShield's analysis explains that the million-dollar snafus were probably gas price ransomware attacks. 
In short, the researchers claim that the hackers have gained access to an exchange's funds. They are able to send money to certain whitelisted accounts that are marked as reliable in the exchange's database, but not to their own. So they are sending the funds with excessively high transaction fees to sap the exchange's accounts, and they're demanding a ransom if it's going to stop. The research is aimed at the first two transactions that spent $5.2 million in total on fees, but it may apply to the third one, too. The hackers started by using a phishing attack where they fake a website or an email to try to gain credentials to gain some kind of access to the exchange, according to the report. It worked. They had part of the permissions to send a transaction, but there was a problem. The exchange had a multi-signature security setting. This means that multiple keys are required to send the money. So it seemed like there was nothing that they could do. But then they realized they could circumvent the multi-sig security with a trick. They could send to a whitelisted address because these addresses only require a single authorization to send a transaction. Only, the hackers were unable to send the money to their own accounts in this way. Instead, they figured they would send a small amount of Ethereum to one of the whitelisted addresses, but tack on an excessively large transaction fee. While they weren't getting any of the money, they were costing the exchange dearly, and that gave them room to demand a ransom. Jesus, talk about hacking the game theory. Shit. And that's the whole gambit. The hackers will keep spending ETH from this exchange until its operators cave to their demand, Peck Shield's analysis claims. Decrypt could not immediately reach Peck Shield for comment, nor could it verify which exchange, which is undisclosed in Peck Shield's report, has been affected. Ooh, that should scare the pit. This is why I Bitcoin. This is why I Bitcoin. It's also why I don't keep my shit on exchanges. It's also why not your keys, not your coins, but it's also why you don't use something as shitty as ETH. There is so much about this system that is so convoluted and complicated that it is inevitable that this particular kind of hack is going to look like child's play when people really start figuring out how to fuck with this whole system. I'm telling you, the more complicated, the, the more gears you throw in a system or the more, like what was it Scotty said from Star Trek? He's like, the more pipes you put in the system, the easier it is to plug up the drain. He's not lying. He's, you know, Scotty's an engineer. You should listen to him. Crypto hedge fund managers, ether more like digital tungsten. Yeah, well, after what we just read, it sure shit is. Cointelegraph.com's Turner Wright is writing this one four hours ago, or, well, okay, sometime this morning. According to Exponential Investment Crypto Fund Managers, Ether is digital tungsten to Bitcoin's gold. Two crypto fund managers say Ether is neither a worthy asset for investors, nor is it a great store of value. According to a report posted June the 11th by Stephen McClurg and Leah Wald of Exponential Investments, <laughs> Leah, I haven't actually heard anything from her in a long time. Ether is a risk on asset and not a reliable investment as many in the crypto community believe. The crypto fund managers like an ETH to digital tungsten rather than the digital gold, which BTC has been, has come to be known as in some circles. And that the token is not stable enough against future purchasing power. Quote, Ethereum does not have one of the greatest value propositions of Bitcoin, predictable scarcity. Instead, the antithesis is the reality. 
End quote. The report states that the monetary policy surrounding Ether issuance is inconsistent, making the supply of the token vulnerable to inflation and unsuitable for a store of value. Sell, sell, sell. Given Ether's inability to adequately store or serve as a store of value, it remains a highly risky speculative instrument. Ether traders took looked to take profit from its subsequent price changes over the short-term short-term time horizon. They chase high returns coupled with high risk. Visions of digital ingots dance before their eyes. However, these visions are formed without evidence. Like Ether, they are pure speculation. Wald's and McClurg's remarks come after a PwC report stated crypto hedge fund assets under management doubled in 2019 to $2 billion. 67% of those portfolios included investments in Ether. Yet the pair conclude Ether is both a poor store of value and a terrible cryptocurrency to speculate on in quote <clears throat> grayscale investments doesn't seem to agree with this assessment of course not because barry silbert is a shitcoiner coin telegraph reported on june the 5th that the firm has purchased 110 million dollars in eth in 2020 its ethereum trust totaled 290 million as of may of uh, may the 19th the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap is currently on a bearish trend with the price dropping 4% from 245 to 236 within 24 hours that's because it's following bitcoin i cannot i just don't understand why it's impossible or how how is it possible that you can look at any cryptocurrency chart and then look at bitcoin chart and uh, and not understand how Bitcoin either allows your shitcoin to go up or it allows your shitcoin to go down. You don't do it on your own. You don't do it without bending the knee, getting down in front of Bitcoin, and asking p- permission politely to be able to move. And you and you never will. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. A group of people are coming together to bring you today's daily train wrecked. <clears throat> oh, this is this is kind of sad. It's a good one, but it's it's kind of sad. Let's start with Stony Bitson, aka UTXO Hoarder. I like Stony Bitson. He you can find him at Stony Bitson. S-T-O-N-E-Y-B-I-T-S-O-N. He's actually one of my favorite people on on uh crypto or uh Bitcoin Twitter. Um, he's, of course, the, the, the good people are not part of the, uh, train wreck story. They're just saying stuff like Stony Bits and telling at Raul GMI, please note that my company only accepts Bitcoin, no shit coins or any of your macro buddies, fraud blockchain scams. In fact, if someone tried to sell me any other crypto asset, I would immediately discontinue doing business with them as they are untrustworthy. Hmm, what is he talking about here? Let's go find out from our good friend, Corey Clipston, who is CEO over there at Swan. Ah, he says that didn't take long at Real Vision. Let the shit coining begin. You're supposed to wait till the bull market really gets underway before rolling out the scams. But early bird gets the worms, I guess. What the hell is he talking about? He's talking about the screenshot that, uh, that he put up with that tweet. This apparently is out of realvision.com. Uh, it says, 
many argue, and it, it looks like, honestly, it looks like it's a message probably in the form of an email. Um, and it says, hi, and I'm not going to give the, the guy's name. Let's say, hi, Steve. All right. Okay. Hi, Steve. Many argue that the financial system is broken and this will massively accelerate the adoption of cryptocurrencies um, and digital assets. We've been asked by many of our members who operate businesses in this fast-growing sector to help them showcase what they're doing. So we're throwing open our doors to launch a unique promotional opportunity. We're creating a mini-series of videos to help highlight the businesses working in and around cryptocurrencies, blockchain, tokenization, and digital assets. And you can take part. These videos will be released in front of the Real Vision paywall and will reach our 340,000 highly engaged, educated, and affluent YouTube subscribers who make up part of the 3 million views we get per month. It's a huge global audience. This is the perfect opportunity for you to use a small part of your marketing budget to create a high quality video that will get your shit coinery message in front of your own clients plus millions of potential clients too. I have absolutely no fucking time for this company anymore. And this really sucks too, because I actually rather enjoyed Raul Paul, but it appears that him and Real Vision have gone down into the shit coinery circus, casino, whatever that big top, whatever the hell else you want to call it, and potentially cost millions of people millions of dollars of their hard earned time. This email or whatever the hell this thing is ends with this. If you want to take part in one of these episodes in this series, then please contact media placement at realvision.com. Again, that's media placement, all one word at realvision.com to find out more. Or if you want, you know, send them an email telling them that their shit coinery will not fucking be tolerated. I mean, I hate to be so harsh. I really do. And I'm sorry about using, you know, the language here, but I had a lot of respect for Real Vision. I had a lot of respect for Raul Pal. And now I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm absolutely 100% done with this bullshit. It's, what he's doing is, he, this is a Coinbase play where your, he's talking literally your company that has whatever shit coin or token or, or cryptocurrency or altcoin or whatever's not Bitcoin is shitcoin, asking them to make a video to showcase their shitcoin, which then they will shove into the face of millions of people that they spent years building up their audience of. Millions of people is their audience. Real Vision did real work, real good work for a long, long amount of time to build up an audience just to say, fuck you. We don't care about you anymore. Why don't you buy this shit coin? That's what this is. Okay. So God, there's your smoldering pile out there in the corner. Uh, although hold on, something looks like it might just be coming across the desk. Give me a sec. Duders, you're not going to believe this one. This is a rolling train wreck that is coming on the heels of the other one. This is a letter. Uh, uh, this is actually a tweet from Samson Mao at Ex Exil Exilion. I can never pronounce it. Exilion. Ex I used to call it just Exilion, but I'm wrong. 
he uh, tweets out idiotic letter that uh, fake Toshi's lawyers are sending around. And then he gives this uh, like a screenshot of the SCA on TA, which is the law firm that Craig Wright, the uh, fraud and the liar and the forger uh, hired to do all his dirty work for him. Well, apparently they've sent out a letter dated this morning, June, June the 12th, 2020. So this is brand new again, hot off the presses. The regarding line is Bitcoin core FAO, Vladimir Vandaline, Jonas Schnelli and Peter Woola are named by email to business at blockstream.com. So this is, they've emailed this letter to them. The reference is WRI 2.17, dated June the 12th, 2020. Dear sirs, um, notice regarding ownership of BTC. We act for Tulip Trading Limited, Tulip. We also act for Dr. Craig Wright, the individual behind the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. Tulip owns the unsplit Bitcoin in the following addresses, and then they give two Bitcoin addresses, which I'm not going to read. The one fee X address contains 79,957 BTC with a sterling equivalent value of approximately 609 million great British pounds. The 12 IB seven address contains 31,000 BTC with a sterling equivalent of approximately two, 236 million great British pounds on or around the 5th of February, 2020 access to and control over those addresses was stolen during a hack on Dr. Wright's computer network. The private keys to those addresses were stored in an encrypted file on that network. Oh my God. As was part of the information required to open the file, both the encrypted file and related information were stolen during the hack and deleted from the network. Tulip and Dr. Wright believe that as those responsible for the quote, Bitcoin core blockchain BTC, you have duties in relation to transactions on that blockchain in circumstances where you have notice of the interest involved, including in particular, avoiding illegitimate transactions being entered on the blockchain where you have notice of the same. As a result, we hereby put you on notice that one. As stated above, Tulip is the legal owner of the Bitcoin Core in the 1FeeX and 12IB7 addresses. Two, Tulip intends to recover control over the addresses and the Bitcoin Core contained therein. Three, any movement of the Bitcoin Core in those addresses would constitute a contravention of Tulip's ownership of and rights to the Bitcoin core in the one FX and 12 IB seven addresses. And finally four, any assistance or other action or inaction by any party in connection with the movements of the Bitcoin core involved in or connected to the Bitcoin core blockchain would also constitute a contravention of Tulip's ownership and rights to the Bitcoin core in the one FX and 12 IB seven addresses. Finally, Tulip owns the right to the name Bitcoin and the Bitcoin database. References in this letter to Bitcoin Core should not be read in any way as relinquishing Tulip's rights to the name Bitcoin or the Bitcoin database. Our, our clients point out in this regard that the BTC Core Bitcoin Core network did not seek permission to use the Bitcoin name or database in respect to of which Tulip reserves all of its rights without limitation. We will be in touch again shortly. In the meantime, 
Tulip reserves all of its rights in relation to the matter set out above and generally without limitation, yours faithfully, SCA on TA LLP. So, wow. I, this is going to be a fun weekend with this letter on the line, bro. Uh, I, I would get into it, but I'm already running way long, man. So let's, let's, let's go from one joke into another joke. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes at Dad Says Jokes on Twitter says a man walks into a bar with a slab of asphalt under his arm. He shouts a beer, please. And one for the road. Eh, eh, jokes on him. It's illegal to drink and drive. Okay. All right. Again, this is episode 250 of Bitcoin and. I'm trying to get things to change. I need your help to change them. Tweet out the show. Uh, Like and subscribe to said show. And go on over to iTunes and sing my praises until the world looks level. Just like Phil did, man. And I really do appreciate you, Phil, for uh, giving me the review that you did means a lot to me, Mr. Sue. It, it really does. I want to grow it. I really do. I've done it 250 times. If I can do it 250 times, I can do it 2,500 more. I want to do that. I want your help that I can be able to do that. You will notice that I, under no circumstances have I given anybody a website that they can go give me BTC at. I don't post my Bitcoin addresses. Um, I haven't given you guys a link to a Patreon account. I have done an app. I have done absolutely freaking nothing. And yet through some, you know, sometimes I end up getting a tip through tipping me or when bottle pay was, you know, was still up and running and God, I miss bottle pay. Um, I was getting all kinds of, I was getting all kinds of tips. Cause I, I mean, I signed up for those, uh, those services because I wanted to report on my experience on those services. I liked them, so I kept them, except for bottle pay, but that wasn't my fault. That was something else. But in what I'm getting at here is that not once for the last two years have I come out with my hand going, please give me, give me money. I have made it damn near impossible for you guys to give me money. I am not going to get a Patreon account. It's not going to happen. I am not going to post any of my Bitcoin addresses or something like that. However, I really do want to make this shit my living, and I'm going to need y'all's help to do that. At one point, one of these days, fairly soon, I'm going to try to do the whole BTC pay server with the Patreon-like thing and get that whole thing up and running. Uh, I do have a domain. Uh, it's not for Bitcoin and. It's going to be under for, for my own name. Uh, I have that kind of not set up, but I've got all that, you know, in... I've got the domain. I've, I've, you know, got some templates and stuff like that. I just haven't, I wanted to wait until episode 250 to put all this shit together. Again, I need your help, but I want to do it in a way that is Bitcoin only, Bitcoin friendly, only, 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 only Bitcoin. 
I don't want to do it through Patreon. I don't want you giving me shit through PayPal. I don't even think I have a PayPal account. I, or if I do, no, actually I don't because PayPal a long time ago started having it to where you could just use a Visa card or something like that. I haven't used PayPal in years, but even when I was using it, there was, it was over that functionality was already there. So I didn't need it. I'm just telling you this so that, you know, um, I, I want to do it. I want to do this, but I want to do it above board. Okay. Um, so again, with your help, I want to push this forward and five-star reviews on iTunes will help me getting you guys to tweet out the, the, the pod and like associated links, uh, particular podcasts, you know, whatever, however it is that you want to do, please do get my podcast over to Instagram. Please get my podcast over to Facebook. Uh, I don't have time to hit every social media thing myself because I'm consistently scanning Twitter for news and events and people and businesses and everything that I can so that you guys know what the hell's going on in the community without running into a fucking tree because you're trying to get to work and you're looking at your phone trying to figure out what's going on. No, I will tell you what's going on, at least to the best of my ability, and you can do your own research after that. Again, I appreciate every single person that has given me any single minute of their life that has listened to me. You have no idea how much that means to me. And with your help, I'll be able to do this on into the future. And if that is so, then I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.